0: Good afternoon on the grind today. I'm joined by Neil Wainwright. Uh, Neil is Uphabits founder as well as CEO and it's his whopping eighth startup. Seems to have a bit of an addiction problem to building high growth companies, but he's actually really successful at it too. Neil's last exit was in 2016 and you just can't stop that entrepreneurial spirit after all. He's been doing it for almost 30 years. Neil has a strong passion for supporting the uphabitants in his role uh, in the company today, as well as working on the Uphabit app himself and really focusing uh, a lot of his efforts on just growing the company. He's got that engineering background. So it's not surprising to me that he's spending a lot of time with the app and probably the customer and user experience side. By his nature, Neil loves delighting customers. And we were just chatting about that. Uh, before we started recording about how that's always been such a key tenant of every company that he's actually founded and driven. So in addition to that work at Uphabit, Neil is not surprisingly coaching young entrepreneurs in order to aid that next generation of founders in building their own great businesses. Now it's a little bit funny as we were talking about earlier, I actually met Neil way back in 1995, probably before some of you listening to this were even born and most of you weren't even thinking of technology. At that point I think Neil was with IBM Lotus and actually he was a speaker at uh, Comdex with me and we were on the same bill. Now Comdex for you people that don't understand is probably the precursor on the internet to what collision is today. So I actually came across our pictures in the conference material and uh, looking forward to uh, picking his brain a bit and uh, getting inside Neil's head Uh, about what he thinks are some core lessons learned from building all these wonderful companies. Neil, is there anything you want to
1: add to uh, the uh, intro that I didn't cover off? No, I think it's a great intro, and I would like to see those Condex photos. It's going to be kind of fun to see what they look like. All I can tell you is I actually had hair. So I think that, you still have hair, which is yeah, awesome. I had
0: brown hair back then. Now it's, now it's mostly gray. It is. I have none, basically, but uh, I did have nice hair back then, and uh, that's a long, long time ago. So in order to kind of get the process going, what we like to do is kind of touch on some more light questions to get us kick-started. So uh, is there any particular thing from uh, either a listening audio or... Or video on Netflix that you're
1: binging or listening to right now? Actually, I'm going through Westworld right now. Really? Yeah. It's I guess season three is about to start, and uh, I'm just halfway through season one, so I got a long way to go. And how do you like the series? Uh, it's pretty cool. I remember the movies from I think the '80s or '70s. Yul
0: Brenner was in. Yeah, them or yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> way back then. And uh, so uh, obviously, it's uh, they've stepped up their game since then. So it's, it's quite interesting, and it's uh, it, some of it, it makes you think some ways. Mm-hmm. So I like it. Yeah, the artificial intelligence side really creeps
0: out in that uh, series very well. Um, what's the kind of top few apps that you're using right now on a regular basis, either uh, from a mobile perspective, maybe more
1: specifically? Well, clearly I have to rate our app as one of those top three, right? Because we're, we're a mobile app company with App Habit. Um, you know, we use. I, I'm in Slack all the time. I think that's uh, another one. Mm-hmm. And the other one that's kind of uh, funny because I spend some time on the subway these days is I bought Solitaire really Uh, back in when the the app store first existed i think it was july tenth, two 2008 my last company actually had an app on that day there was 552 apps in the world wow and in that first few months solitaire came out if not on the first day and i bought it for a buck (laughs) 99. and that's why i've always believed since that time which is 11 years ago app monetization where it's a single purchase price and use it forever it never makes sense because mm-hmm. I've been using it now for 11 years and I paid $1.99 for it so somebody's left a lot of money on the table that's why my my new business has a subscription engine built in thanks to Apple and Google
0: well that makes sense you've really monetized the hell out of that app you're probably paying about point zero 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 one penny
1: per day for usage which it, is good for you it's good for me, but it's not good for the developers because they've had to maintain it for 11 years. <laughs> Although I don't think that's the
0: most complex app they have to uh, actually maintain at this point. Um, any specific books you're reading
1: right now or things of that nature that have really uh, caught your eye? Um, Talk Triggers is one I just uh, just finished which is all about uh, word of mouth marketing okay. and, and how to get um, some buzz around your product. Mm-hmm. Another one is Play Bigger. Okay. Um, which is all about how you uh, define your company and how you grow it, not just from a building a great uh, company and a great product, uh, but also defining a category with which you can dominate. Okay, very interesting. So, how did you come up with the name Up Habit? Uh, well, those are the branding people that did that. Um, the original name was going to be called Contact Cheetah. Because um, <laughs> very different. My, my wife heard of this uh, company called Survey Monkey, which we already know about, and that had mm-hmm. monkey in it. So my wife was thinking about, okay, what kind of other animal can we use? And since we we're a contact management relationship app, she thought about contact in the name, and then she thought about cheetah because it's a fast, it's a fast uh, animal. So she came up with Contact Cheetah, but of course that didn't make it past the branding team. So that was the initial name, though, and then it moved to Up Habit because again, it's all about you know, moving your habits forward. And Mm -hmm. and for us, it's all about relationships and building better relationships. So why not have that as a great habit and that habit came out of that.
0: Now, a little bit of curiosity from my standpoint, obviously there's a very big app in in, uh, that market. How are you differentiating against the the LinkedIn's of the
1: world and and, uh, really pressing forward? Well, one way to think of UpHabit is it's uh, everything that LinkedIn should be but isn't. Um, Or everything your local address book should be but isn't. That's another way to look at it. Um, You know, we bring all the contacts together from emails from your local address book. We put them into one list. Mm -hmm. Um, Then you can set reminders. And these reminders are not like, you know, call someone on Tuesday. They're like, I want to speak to someone every three months. Okay. And what happens then is Uphabit sets that cadence mm-hmm. and then it'll start reminding you on that cadence. Hey, it's time to talk to whoever you want to talk to. And it's really interesting. I'm up to over 270 relationships now. Okay. And I, there's no way on earth I would ever be able to stay in touch with and think about 270 people on a regular basis without our product. Mm-hmm. So it's solving a real need for me, which is every, I'm really busy. And as a CEO, you get very interrupt-driven. Mm-hmm. So things, you know, things that are uh, on a more background basis tend to slip through the cracks, which is a, a lot of what relationship maintenance is, mm-hmm. uh, or relationship building, and it really helps me with that. Yeah, that makes sense to me. My mental task list tops out at
0: about 10, yeah. and then you're thinking, oh, you know, I should have phoned so-and-so or emailed so-and-so. So the, I like the whole concept of being able to Forward set that task list,
1: and it just keeps it going for you. Yeah. I think that's a huge benefit. And our focus is on authentic relationships. So although mm-hmm. we'll surface the fact that it's time to talk to Neil mm-hmm. or David, um, it doesn't doesn't tell me what to say. Okay. Because I want it to. We want it to be an authentic uh, conversation that you're going to have. Okay. I do have some people that reply to me and say, "Oh, okay, is up have it tell you it's time to talk to me?" Mm-hmm. And I have to say, "Yep, yeah. <laughs> yep." Yeah. Um, and I say, "It doesn't tell me what I'm supposed to say." Mm-hmm. and um, up have it also has notes in it so I can make notes about my conversations with people or how I met them okay. and then I, that's a, a, a trigger for me when I'm reaching out to them to actually know what to speak to them about. Okay, so a little bit of context in there as well. We're yeah, we, we call place. the space personal CRM Okay, and um, it's, it's an interesting term because most people who are not in you know software or use it in sales wouldn't know what a CRM is, yeah. uh, customer relationship management, but it is something that sticks, and people do search for personal CRM on the internet because there are Google searches when they're trying to look for something to help themselves with their personal relationships. Mm-hmm. So that's basically why we, the, the category we play in. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. So um,
0: when you and we've really kind of touched on this, when you really founded Up Habit, what was the catalyst moment? What was what caused you to think, "Wow, we need this solution in place"? Was there something that happened to you? That really drove the thinking around up, habit
1: Well, when I had my last business, it was B2B. This one is B2C. Um, but in my last business it was B2B, and what I noticed in Salesforce because we use that as our corporate CRM mm-hmm. is that whenever I looked at any account and you know the opportunities, one lost and all that stuff, there was always one contact and one contact only against that account mm-hmm. because in Salesforce you have to have a contact to be able to log an opportunity and stuff. Yes. But in the case of some of our, our larger clients that we, we, we sold in won, there might have been 10, even 20 people that we had conversations with along their decision path mm-hmm. or in ongoing support and working with the finance teams and all that stuff. So there was a rich uh, number of contacts that never made it to Salesforce, okay. never made it to our marketing uh, engine so that we couldn't you know, do drip campaigns and nurture them and, and, and give them information relevant to our business even after they became customers. So my original thinking around up Habit was, it's contact discovery mm-hmm. out of your address book, out of your emails, and then offering to add those contacts to your CRM like Salesforce or HubSpot or, mm-hmm. or marketing systems like uh, Marketo. Yep. Um, and I kind of pivoted a little bit and I did have some help with that. I, I did uh, have a consulting branding company that helped me with that a bit. And they were a, they did user research and they found that um, while that's an important thing from a CEO's perspective to have deeper contact coverage and a, and a chief marketing officer certainly would, would agree with it, uh, the, the day-to-day salespeople that were actually talking to the uh, opportunities and working the deals, they didn't really care about it so much. So I knew okay. I'd have some friction. But what came out of the user research is that everybody has a problem staying in touch with the important people in their life. Yeah. So that's when we did this pivot to what we do now. Okay. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, when I think about even all our customers
0: for myself, I want to reach out and talk to them at least once every four or five months. And as you know that unless something's set up to tickle me and let me know that that's going to happen, that gets really challenging. And the CRMs, whether I'm using Sales Loft on top of it or anything else, they'll do cadences, but they don't do them in that method. So I think that makes a lot of sense.
1: Yeah, and and the, the, the number one thing that happens with those cadences in a traditional CRM system, is It's overdue. It's always overdue. Yeah, you never true. you never call people on that date mm-hmm. um, It's certainly if it's if it's certainly pre funnel or post funnel like they were customer So with up habit, we have this cadence of you know, every three months one month You can make it every third Tuesday if you want, mm-hmm. but um, what we what we don't have is the concept of overdue uh, In up habit, you have a tab that says today and that personal, you know, if it's due today, the person will show there, show there today. If you open the app tomorrow and you haven't acted on that person, they stay as today. Okay. So there's no red overdue anywhere in Up habit. We it just chases you. We, we don't want to cause anxiety. That's not what we're about. <laughs> it just change. stays there. And, you know, I actually will use that. Um, I don't know about you, but I use my uh, inbox and email. I'll leave things unread, even if I've read them just as a to-do list? Yes. So I do the same thing in Up Habit. I might look at that person three or four times before I reach out to them, Mm -hmm. but every day I look at them, I might look at their face if we have their photo in there, Mm -hmm. I certainly look at their contact details, I look at their description, I know and think about that person maybe two or three times before I reach out to them, because maybe now is not the right time, but nothing is ever overdue. Got it.
0: So I think one of the things that was interesting to me is you have such a, a broad background having started so many different companies. And one of the things that we really focus on the grind is, you know, what's that key lesson learned that you've taken from company to company or that's really been a guiding light for how you think about a business? And so I'm kind of curious from your perspective with all your your varied startups that you've done successfully. What's the one key lesson learned that Neil Wainwright has taken away and could share with us and others that we should really keep in mind as we think about our own companies and
1: grinding them and scaling them. I'd say the number one thing that crosses everything is what's in it for them. So when I'm thinking about my team, my the, the team we have at UpHabit, I'm always thinking about the employees and what I can do for them. Okay. When I'm when I'm talking to our customers, we call them Habiteers, uh, I'm thinking about what what can I do, what more can I do for them? Okay. Uh, and when I think about my product, I'm like, what, what more can I do for it? Like, how can I contribute? It's not about what's in it for me. It's what can I do um, for everything else. And when I do that and I, I try and excel at that, mm-hmm. it does come back. It does get reflected back at you because, you know, the, the, the more you do for your employees, the more they're going to do for the company. The more you do for the, um, uh, your customers, mm-hmm. the more they're going to do for you and appreciate Mm -hmm. what you do for them you know I had customers with my last business where they'd say you know you're the best company I've ever worked at in my career and these people were 25-30 years into a career and I was just floored I was like I guess because one of my answers with the last company was I'd always say yes so anything they asked me I'd always say yes and they're like you cannot always say yes I'm saying well sometimes I might I say yes because we already have the feature. You don't know about it. Sometimes I'm saying yes because you just gave me a great idea, and I would be silly not to implement it. So I'm going to figure out a way to get it done. Okay. And sometimes it's like you gave me a great idea, but I think we already support it in a different way. Would you be okay with it? And they always say yes. That's that's great. Um, you know, sometimes they would say to me, "Well, you know, I just gave you a really good idea, and it's worth a lot of money." And I said, "Well, how much?" And if they said, "You know, I don't know." $100,000, I'd tell them it's two hundred grand to implement it. So <laughs> is the conversation over? <laughs> yep. And then they would, because I, I didn't charge them to build features. So that was, that was the, the, the contract that we made is that they would give us great ideas and we would build them and they wouldn't have to pay for them. But it leveraged us into a very high growth company before. And that's what I'm doing again with UpHabit, but on a B2C model.
0: No, that makes sense. Do you remember which company it was that kind of created that foundation? Or was that, because I always remember you being very customer centric from the very beginning. Do you remember what the, the, the point was where that message really sunk in or that, that I, really uh, mattered to you and changed your philosophy, if any?
1: I, I have no idea how it, it, it got into my head. Um, we were talking just before we got started with this, uh, with the podcast that I have a videotape that I thought I'd lost, a master tape mm-hmm. from the 80s with my very first business, which was an Apple dealership, it was called Get Info, you know, a little menu command. And, um, and I, I have a video that we prepared for customers, mm-hmm. and one of my customers was in post-production video, so he, I think for, it was like a Contra deal, like a, a you know, I, I gave him some free stuff and he gave me his free time. But it was a professionally edited video, and I'm dying to see that video. I just found the tape. Mm-hmm. I haven't had it converted to DVD. I hope they don't lose it in the conversion process. But I believe, you know, they've just been going on for over 30 years. I've had this obsession about uh, teams, uh, internal teams, and an obsession about customers. Okay, And I'm a software engineer, so I really like to geek out on product as well.
0: Yeah, well, that part I definitely take away every time we chat about what you're doing with the product and everything. And I think what's very interesting is, do you think as a technical founder of a company, you approach a problem differently than if you were,
1: call it more of a sales and marketing founder? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and when I communicate with our engineering team, we, we totally get it. Like there's no, there's no, you know, the engineers are off doing something and I'm not quite sure what and... You know, when something doesn't work, uh, I don't know why. I just know that, you know, it's not working. And, you know, I don't get anxiety over any of that stuff <laughs> because I know, and I've lived through a lot of it, a lot of gray hair. Um, I know what's going on. And we can have these great conversations about the product. Now, I don't obviously write software anymore, that would be terrible. Um, plus, you know, I, I never wrote in COBOL, but i probably of that generation. <laughs> uh, but um, uh, I understand how they think and how they build software. And, and I send, understand software architecture so we can have these really good conversations about how to get something done. Well, that's really interesting.
0: So how did you make the transition then to understanding sales alchemy? So you know, I, I know, as you know, I, my background is in engineering as well, so I get the black box and how it works. So right. that's a great thing. But one of the toughest things for me then was learning this whole sales culture, this sales alchemy, how to make that function. How did you pick up that skill set to round out really what a CEO's role is?
1: Well, I think I was 26, so 57 now. So when I was 26, I started my first business. Mm -hmm. I knew nothing about sales. But I discovered with the Apple dealership, once I opened my doors, bought all my inventory, you know, got the sign out front and all that stuff, I realized I had 30 days to break even or I'd go out of business. (laughs) So a very quick, you know, both feet into the fire kind of thing. You're starting to sell and, and back then actually it was in the late 80s. Uh, Macs were pretty hot and, and, mm-hmm. pu- and Publishing and graphics fields, so I actually did sell a lot and it was really good. I did break even within 30 days and you know, I've always um, Again, it's it's when I when I go on a sales call uh, And this is going back to my b2b days it, I would always think about what was in it for them mm-hmm. you know, I, I remember I, I got on a uh, I, I, I won Slack as a customer uh, okay. near the end of my uh, tenure with the last company before I sold it. And I got on the call with Slack because the team obviously wanted me in because it, it, it was a big deal. And I just chatted with the finance team for, I don't know, 30 minutes, an hour. I showed them our product a little bit, mm-hmm. but I talked about their challenges and, and what they go through on a regular basis and how we could help them with that. and. Um, and when I made it all about them, and not my product and my pricing and my features and look how mm-hmm. wonderful we are, but I talked to them about their challenges and how we could help them with it, mm-hmm. um, it was great and we won them. So that customer centricity that you
0: talked about right. in B2B, now that you're in B2C, it seems to be the
1: same thing, but in maybe a slightly different way. Yeah, it is, it's kind of fun. I, like I, I, we have a poster on the wall that I, I had made, it's called, I think it's called The Power of One. Mm-hmm. So, it's like we should treat every uh, individual customer, and they pay us, you know, uh, seven or twelve bucks a, a month, or so, yep. and some, a lot of people it's free, because there's a, there's a free version too. But, any concern or question or suggestion that they comes in, even though it's a, you know, a, a thousands and thousands mm-hmm. of user base, every one of those um, pieces of information that they give us or requests that they ask, we should treat it as the most important thing for us and also for them mm-hmm. and you know as we you know add more features and build out the product we're going to get to the state that my last company was in where I was winning every deal I mm-hmm. mean I'm, when, the, when the final acquirer came in to buy my last business they said Neil you, you haven't lost a deal over a thousand bucks in 18 months mm-hmm. and you're competing with these big well-funded players
0: yeah.
1: and I looked at the uh, acquirer and I said yeah that's true. Yeah you know, and um, they wrote a nice check because of that, That's great. Um, but part of it is because I added all these capabilities to the product, I listened to the customers so much mm-hmm. that when it came time for me, like I won Marketo as a customer, and when they asked me how long my implementation process was back then, and they were being told by one of my competitors six to nine months, mm-hmm. and they, 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 Marketo asked me, they literally said on the phone call, well what did, what's your project team, what does your Gantt chart look like, who's your project manager? I said, well, it takes about an hour, so we could get, <laughs> we could Gantt chart the whole thing for sixty for the sixty minutes. But it's probably just easier to turn it on and let it all auto configure. Okay. And um, they didn't believe me, but a week later we got on a call and I, they had a a copy of their ERP platform I, that I could plug into. And it took I was wrong. I thought it would take an hour. It took forty five minutes, and I had <laughs> multiple subsidiaries, hundreds of employees configured in their test account and everything, and it happened in forty five minutes. But that came out of my passion for customers and in wanting to delight them in any way I could. You know, okay. I, it meant our engineering team built a lot of a lot of features, a lot of capabilities, but they were all configurable and beautiful and they just all worked. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think if you create a lot of barriers between you and your customers and you kind of refuse to do things, mm-hmm. you're creating some space between you and them. Okay. You know, and I've had customers in the past and partners in the past that would meet my competitors at trade shows you know, look up at the um, at the competitors. Say, I'm with Neil, and they turn around and walk away, which is just shocking to me. But that's what was happening because of they knew how much I cared about them. That's
0: that's I think such a great attitude and and probably a great foundation to have as you build out up habit and really drive it from that standpoint. So a few lighter questions, maybe. Um, one of the things I'm curious when I talk to CEOs was there any favorite piece of advice that you've held at this point that you were given by someone else during your career that had an impact on
1: you? Um, You know, actually, I don't have any one piece of advice. I'd have to think about that a bit longer. Mm -hmm. Um, I've had a lot of advice. I think, you know, I do a lot of coaching of young entrepreneurs now, Mm -hmm. and the ones I know that are going to succeed are those that are most coachable. And, And they don't just take the feedback blindly. Okay. Um, You know, we coached, um, I was part of a group that was talking to a a woman founder organization last December, and we meet, it was through a a Creative Destruction Lab, which I Mm -hmm. volunteer with a lot. It's a great organization for helping startups scale and runs all across Canada, down in the States, and now they're going to England. And um, this this female-led, founded uh, company. Uh, was building a product, and we all thought that was, you know, I don't know if I was part of that, but a lot of us thought it was a crazy idea and they should license their technology and they shouldn't actually build what it is they were going to build. Mm-hmm. But even this founder, they took a lot of coaching, but they actually didn't blindly agree with what we said. Mm-hmm. They went off and created a product. And then in the subsequent six months, they went into hockey stick mode and their revenue was doubling every month and we looked like fools. <laughs> so it's not just about um, being coachable, but it's also having a smart brain on your head to, to filter what you're hearing mm-hmm. and take the tidbits that make sense. And the things that don't, you just follow your heart and do it the right way. Okay. But coachability certainly is one of the things that I've, I've seen. And do you like, think you're coachable? Uh, I am. And <laughs> okay. I have a good filter, too. Okay. That's so, great. So, um, I, I, you know, I'll, but I, I, there's so much I don't know about building a B2, B2B, B, sorry, B2C business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm very open to everything. I'm reading, like, sometimes I'll read a book a week, a business book a week. Sometimes mm-hmm. it'll be, you know, once every two or three weeks.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but i, I really trying to be a sponge and learn as much as I can as quickly as possible. Okay. Um,
0: How do you... If you've got it, how do you tend to spend your downtime kind of to recharge and uh, be able to take on the world?
1: Um, There isn't a lot of downtime as a founder CEO. Um, As you know, uh, it's one of the most stressful jobs you can have. Mm -hmm. Um, You're always thinking, you wake up in the middle of the night because your subconscious is spinning and it just kind of wakes you up and say, okay, it's time to think about this in the foreground now. Um, So that background process kind of wakes up, that's a software guy in me. Um, but I've always had the ability to kind of, you know, separate myself when I need to. So, you know, w- from the business. So, like when you know, one of my one of my children need me, or my wife needs me, or or something's happening with a friend. Um, mm-hmm. Then I'm I, I just am able to disconnect and make sure I focus on that stuff. Okay. But you know, fundamentally, you know, being a, a startup CEO is a 724 job, and it'll always be that way.
0: Yep. No, I guess that's very true. It's hard to compartmentalize at times uh, I know the odd times I take vacation that's the only time I really try to shut down a bit
1: well we're going to Europe we're going on a cycling trip oh and fantastic. Uh, the nice thing about going to France on a cycling trip is you cycle all the all, all day or the first three quarters of the day yep. when your team back in North America is still asleep okay so when you get off the bikes uh, when some people might be going and having cocktails or something, I'll just be getting on the computer and Zoom and Slack and all that stuff and still being able to work almost a full work day. Okay. So actually I like going to Europe for vacations because of the time zone thing and it means that I can get a lot of fun stuff done and still have stay connected to work. And you're cycling, so you're getting decent exercise at the same time, which is
0: fantastic. Yeah,
1: I was, uh, you know, when Up Habit was younger, actually my gap between Up Habit and my last company, I was on the spin bike seven days a week, mm-hmm. um, every, every day, and now I'm down to three days a week. But okay. I play squash and spin bikes and lift weights and That's do good. yoga. And so I'm doing all that stuff to keep yeah. myself balanced. And that is actually one thing that I see coming up with younger founders is they don't realize the grind. Yep. You have to reference your uh, podcast. And it's a concern now in terms of founder mental health, mm-hmm. you know, because it is a, a huge amount of stress that's on a founder. Yep. And those of us that have kind of grown up um, doing it over the last 30 years, the pace of business wasn't so fast 30 years ago. Mm-hmm. So we kind of got eased into it, but yep. um, now people that are starting out for the first time, you know, business is going at warp speed and it's a grind to actually be a CEO. So they're yep. getting the hit both times.
0: I worry about that most of us aren't unicorns so it takes a lot of time I also find that the downtime uh, we both cycle and for me I I cycle in and out uh, where we live into Toronto so it's about a 65 mile round trip but that quiet time of when I'm cycling avoiding cars yeah but it's it's actually great thought time Um, so I think even though you're at one on one hand you're actually taking a break uh, and physically doing something that's great for you, it's actually, it's its a great way to cleanse out your brain and think about new things uh, from that standpoint.
1: Yeah, even even the weekends, my team, the entire company's learned to put slack on snooze on the weekends. Okay. Because when I have my, or when I'm when I'm, because on the weekends when I'm alone or with my family, I never stop thinking about the business, so I start populating slack almost on a, you know, every few minute basis sometimes with ideas and concepts and things, Okay, so the team have realized and I actually asked them to, you know, snooze slack Mm -hmm. on the weekends. If I have something important, I'll reach out because I don't want them to get overloaded with the Mm -hmm. fact that uh, I'm a 724 person as a CEO, but I don't want them to be that way.
0: No, I think that's uh, very uh, smart in terms of making sure your team's in the best possible position to execute by not trying to keep up with your hours necessarily, either as a a badge of courage
1: or honor to say, hey, I can do this. I think I'd rather have my team fresh. I mean, in technology, there's always push times. Like we have a big release coming next week, so there's a big push on for it. But the the difference between the team and the the founder is that the team will do that push and then they'll have gaps in between where things are normal. Mm -hmm. Founders, they don't have those gaps in between and that is i think the difference between a founder and someone working in a startup.
0: Okay. No, that makes sense. Any closing thoughts Neil before we wrap up uh, our discussion today?
1: Um, just, you know, you know, f- you know for those that are listening, it's it's, you know, if you're going to build a business, it's all in at 724. Think about your everybody else more than yourself. Okay. If you if you have that as your mindset, things will work out typically very well for you. Okay. Um, it's when you start thinking about your own needs ahead of customers, the employees, or the product, that's when things uh, can get a little more challenging and you'll find that you're not really getting out of it what you feel you're putting into it. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm very much a giver and a, and, a, and a contributor. And at this stage of my career, I want to give back more and more. Yes. And I think the more you do that, the more it actually works for you in the long run. No, I think that's fantastic advice. And I think, you know, to
0: your point, it always comes back to you and, and usually in multiples. So I think taking that attitude really has a big impact on everyone around you. Well, thanks very much for being on the grind, Neil, and best of luck with UpHabit. I'm sure we'll be hearing a lot from you very, very shortly.
1: Thank you very much, I appreciate it, David. Take, All care. Right. Take care. Thank you for tuning in to Floater Founder Every Week. We look forward to bringing you more content from more amazing people in our city. Until next time.